Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, Grasping Grace and Peace, will be in Ephesians chapter 1. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. And we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to only actually look at two verses. As we get into it, we're going to break it down, and we're going to kind of look at it almost phrase by phrase. He starts out by just saying who he is. This letter is from Paul. And I gave you a couple scripture references there, Acts chapter 8, the first three verses, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul used to be called Saul, and in his earlier life, he was a Pharisee. Now, the New Testament describes this this religious political party of people, and it describes them in terms that would sound very much like the Taliban that were ruling Afghanistan. And, and Saul of Tarsus was one of the leaders of this group, and he hated Christians, and he made it his business. You read about this in, in chapter 7 of, of Acts. You read about the the martyrdom of a man named Stephen, and in chapter 8, the first verse, that this person, Saul, was officiating over the killing of Stephen. And then it says that he went everywhere, breathing out murderous threats against the church and imprisoning as many as he possibly could. And then the Bible tells us that the cool thing is that God, God kind of turned the table on Satan, and what turned out as an, started out as an attack on the church turned out to be the first widespread missionary movement that we read about in history. As people fled Jerusalem for fear of this man Saul, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And, and uh, a generation later, in a courtroom, someone would say to Saul, now called Paul, you're the people that have turned the world upside down. You've changed the culture uh, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says that Jesus came to save sinners, and then he says, of whom I am chief. And what he's reflecting is uh, his own sense of guilt, his own sense of shame, his own sense of worthlessness because of his past. And yet he's saying this in victory because he's saying, I don't live in the past. I don't live in guilt. I don't live in shame. I live in the victory of, of a changed life because God has come to forgive me and to set me free and make me a new person. And, and I want to just take a little poll this morning. Are there any of you in this room that you, you used to spend, you know, your livelihood was made by murdering Christians? Well, I guess there's nobody, no takers. What I'm trying to say is this, whatever you used to do and however bad you used to be isn't an issue. The issue is that the Lord loves you and that Jesus died so that you could have a relationship with God. Your sins could be forgiven and you could go on to freedom in Christ and, and that, that your, your life could be a different life. Does that make sense to you? He talks about being chosen by God. The next part of the thing, he describes himself. He says, I am chosen by God. Again, I give you a scripture, Romans 12, the first two verses, where the, the Bible says that God has a purpose for each one of us, and it tells us that we need to present our lives to him so that we can find that purpose and that he wants to use us, and he, and he has a plan for each of us individually. I do not believe that God has called us all to go out and, and be street preachers or be whatever, you know, or a pastor or a missionary or whatever. What, what he's mostly done is given you an assignment within your realm, within your neighborhood, within your family, within your workplace, 
but, but he has a plan for you in that environment. And as you yield to him, you begin to find that plan. He goes on and, 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 and impresses us further by saying that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle, uh, if you translate it directly from the Greek, uh, the, the Greek term is apostolos. It just comes to us in English. And it means one who is sent out from. I, I was sent out from a church in Hermosa Beach, California, uh, to, 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 to plant a church here in Hawaii. We found no place that would rent to us, so we started under a tree at Kailua Beach Park. Uh, but I had uh, the fears that were associated with that, not being able to find a location. I had the strength of knowing that I had been sent out by these people, and they were financing us, and they were praying for us, and they were caring for us. But Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, I've been sent by God. And if you're sent by God, you've got all the resources of heaven behind you. And I think in a very real sense, all of us are apostles. God has called us into a situation. I was talking to Rick Pettit this morning, and you heard about that tragic accident a couple of weeks ago, took the lives of some high school kids, or the high school kids, yeah? And, uh, and so Rick set up a memorial, and we talk about marketplace ministry. He set up a memorial outside the door of his classroom a uh, picture of the kid, said some things about him, but he also prepared a slide presentation that he put on a video screen in the classroom. He said virtually the whole school showed up. And he had opportunity to talk to them about driving 80 miles an hour and, you know, some stuff that goes on. He's, he's a person who's trying to fit into his world as someone who is sent into that world by the Lord. And what does God want me to do in the world that I live in? Where do I fit and, and how do I function? He goes on and he says this letter is written to God's holy people in Ephesus. And, and, and now we get in trouble. Uh, the word holy comes up and most of us feel very unholy because we have this attitude that holiness is, is something that has to do with keeping a moral code, a bunch of religious rules, or being some sort of a pious person. And the truth is, if, if, you, if you understand the word holy, you begin to unlock the key to the door of victorious Christian living. Because the word holy, actually, when Paul was, was using it, today it's become a religious term. When Paul wrote it, it was actually a secular term. And, 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 and if we're going to really be true to understanding the word, we're going to take it out of the realm of the religious, and we're going to bring it into the realm of the real, and, and we're going to get it the way that Paul got it. And, and, and here's what the word holy means. This microphone is holy. You didn't see any of the band members using it. You didn't see Jeff using it. I used to use one of these little lapel mics, but when it would blast us with rain, I'd have to scream into the microphone. So they got me this. So this microphone is, here's the word, set apart for me to use. And the word holy simply means that, set apart. I'm set apart. In other words, I belong to God. You know, Steve Dorsey and Julie are sitting here this morning. They have, they, they have a sense that God set them apart. Steve was a carpenter who went on a mission to Dominican Republic, decides that God needed a clinic in the Dominican Republic, came back, finished college, went on to med school, became a doctor, and is now building a clinic in the Dominican Republic. That's a very extreme case of somebody who understands this idea that holiness has nothing to do with religiousness. It has everything to do with uh, God has a, has a, has a, 
a sense of ownership over me. Now, you can be owned by God and have failed him greatly yesterday. And you're still holy. Because he still owns you. He still exercises a right of ownership over you. This microphone could have a, a busted wire someplace and, and it, would, it would sporadically deliver the tones that it's supposed to deliver. Uh, it would still be set apart for my use. We'd want to go to work repairing it. Uh, we wouldn't want to beat it up. We wouldn't want to hate it. We wouldn't want to do all those things that people think sometimes God hates me or God's angry with me or God's this or God's that. What God is wanting to do is restore us and get us to a place where we're working and we're functioning well because he has ownership of our life. So he goes on and he describes those people in Ephesus and us. And, and here again, this text of the Bible, which I've chosen to use and teach because it's simple, once in a while isn't the most accurate. And it says that these are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And, and you get the idea of faithful means never failing. The, 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 what's really being communicated in the original language is not so much that as they're just simply believers in Christ Jesus. And, and the word pistis, the Greek word uh, that, that we get faith from, has, has a, it's, that, that comes to us as a noun faith. There's a verb faith, pistin, which means faith that acts. And, and I want you to understand that I'm acting in faith right now as I'm sitting on this stool. I'm expressing faith in the stool that it won't fall apart, that it'll hold me up. You're expressing faith in the chair that you're sitting on. And when you come to a place of expressing faith in the Lord by being willing to rest in his love for you and cooperate with his leadership in your life, then you begin to come to a place where you understand that this is not about, oh, I'm being real good today, or I'm keeping a bunch of rules today. What the, the irony of Christianity is that when you begin to rest in faith and you begin to walk with God, you begin to have your life transformed from the inside out. Something supernatural happens, and, and God does stuff in your life that you can explain no other way. I want to tell you another story, and then I'll quit telling stories and finish the message. There's a guy that came to a class I was teaching for new Christians about three and a half years ago. He told me a really unique story, and at first I was delighted by it, and then I was really bummed. And he starts out by telling me that he was with us when we began our church in the very early days. You know, this church has, has uh, we spent 14 years worshiping in public schools. It took us 10 years to get a building permit on this property. Um, it, it, was, it was quite a journey. But in the very early days, he was with us, and then he moved away to Las Vegas, and he's a bartender by trade. Now, I'm not thrilled with everybody being a bartender, but, um, you know, there was a guy in our church in California that worked in a liquor store, and he led 30 people to the Lord uh, who would come in on Saturday night buying, buying drinks over about two and a half year period of time. He came to me and said, should I quit this job? I said, no, stay there. You're, you're in the right spot. You're an evangelist. But this guy came and, and he told me that he had moved to Las Vegas. He lived there for, for 14 years and that he was, he was spiritually being fed by our tapes by mail. He would get the tape every week and he'd listen to it sometimes three or four times. And he said, the problem, he, he goes, is I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict. I'm a cocaine addict. 
And he said, I listened to your tapes, and he says, I want to tell you that you saved my life on numerous occasions. When I'd get depressed and I'd be, re I'd be really thinking about suicide, I'd listen to you, and it would give me hope, and I would, I would keep on going. And, and, I, and I'm feeling pretty good at this point. And then he says, but where do we get to the part where I find the power to get, get free from alcohol and free from cocaine? And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. Here's a guy who's listened to me for 14 years, and we haven't gotten to that part somehow in his life. And in a way, I ducked him. I, I, I gave him two books. I gave him a book called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious, and it's kind of a very lightweight commentary on Paul's book of Romans in the New Testament. I gave him another book called Who I Am in Christ. And both books deal with what we're talking about today. Coming to a place where you understand that it's not your performance. It's your yieldedness to God that allows him to do his stuff in your life. And then's when the miracles take place and the supernatural kicks in. Now, there's a gap in this story. This man's name is David Jomi. He's a friend of mine. Uh, every so often he still shows up in church on Saturday night. Uh, as, as this was going on, and he was telling me the story that he was telling me, he was at the same time bringing people from the, the bar where he's a part owner, Pipeline Cafe, and bringing people to church, and they were coming to the Lord, and he was still going through this struggle. I don't know what happened. All I know is shortly after giving him those books, he told me one day, he says, I'm dry and I'm clean. What I know is this, that he invited us to plant a church in the Pipeline Cafe, we did. It's now moved to Kahala, and David is one of the pastoral team of the church, and God transformed his life. And, and this kind of stuff is not going to happen if you sit around thinking, I'm an unholy person. I'm a bad person. I got to somehow make God like me. It's going to only happen when you come to understand what the passion of the Christ was all about, is Jesus laying his life down so we wouldn't have to lay ours down, and us coming to do this, to rest in faith in God and what he's already done for us, and then begin to have hope and, and start to walk with him and start to move in a positive direction. Am I making sense? See, some, some, some Christians I know are, are the most guilt-ridden people in the world because they get into the rules deal. And we got to get busted free and understand what the Lord is really all about and what he's saying. And um, let's move on. He says, may grace and peace be yours. The words mean favor and blessing. The word grace. May God's favor, may God's blessing be yours. Now, the Bible says you can only come to the Lord because of his, his, his grace. Uh, it says that we, we came to the Lord by grace and, and it works through faith. And it's nothing we did ourselves. It's God doing it for us. May God's Favor and blessing not only bring you into relationship with him, but may it be yours as you walk in relationship with him. The word peace, I went to a dictionary and, and I picked up some synonyms and I kind of expanded on them. It, it means harmonious, free from attack, enjoying quietness, and experiencing wholeness. And I would say it this way. It means that your life is harmonious. Everything's in balance. It means that your life is free from attack. Uh, there, I believe in a very real devil. I believe in demonic forces. I believe that they attack us from time to time in different ways. May God put a hedge around you and keep you free from attack. May you enjoy quietness. May, may your life just be a, a life of, 
of, of, of, of not having the kind of excitement that brings anxiety. May you experience wholeness. What do you need? Finances, healing, relationship. What do you need? May it all be yours. And then he goes, that it's sent to you from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. When it says that grace and peace are sent to you, you, you got to not think about grace and peace as a feeling because feelings originate inside of us. It's like faith. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a commitment to believe something. I've seen some data. I've seen some evidence. I've looked at it. I've, I've researched it. I've, I've seen it work in my friend's life, so I choose to believe. That's, that's a choice. Grace and peace, think in these terms. It's a commodity. God sends you something called grace or favor. God sends you something called peace. And I, I, I like to think of it when I see the word sent like somebody sent me a, a check in the mail this week. But if I don't grasp the check, if I don't open the letter, and if I don't take the check to the bank, then the thing does me no good at all. It just sits there. It's at the point that I interact with it and I grab a hold of it that it starts to do something in my life. And, and so I may have some feelings that go along with that. You know, wow, 500 bucks in the mail. I'm excited. But the feeling isn't reality. The feeling is just emotion. The check is the reality. The cash check is, is, is now where I'm able to do something. And the, and the grace and peace that God sends you, you got to reach out and grab a hold of them. Now at this point, you start to have to deal with the fact of answered prayer and a supernatural and God coming to you and coming through delivering on his promises and making good on these things. And, and as, as we reach out and grasp a hold of this, um, our life turns out better. And God's blessing is at work in our life. It, go, it, it goes on to say that they are sent from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to just finish with talking about this. Grace and peace are not something that you manufacture with your faith. There's something maybe you... You, you open the envelope with your faith. There are people who have faith in faith. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole stream of Christianity that we like to make jokes about and call the name it and claim it people. That, that whatever I say, God has to do because he's promised to answer prayer. And, and we forget that God is sovereign and God may want to say no to this so he can say yes to this. But there's another kind of faith in faith. See, those people kind of, if I'll mock up enough faith, God has to do it. But there's another kind of faith in faith that I think we have that's almost a negative thing. And it's like we, we somehow think that we have to manufacture faith for God to do anything. And, and the truth is you cannot. You know, the Bible says that we get faith by the word of God. By reading the promises of God, you know, I, I carry around my Palm Pilot. I said this last week, I'll write out scriptures that I want to memorize. And, I, and instead of writing them in the Palm, uh, I'll, I'll write them on a little half a three by five card so they fall out all the time every time I open my Palm Pilot. And every so often I just look at them and read them. What am I doing? I'm feeding my faith. Okay? But my faith isn't in my faith. My faith is in God. If you sent me a check my confidence wouldn't be in the piece of paper. It would be in the person who signed the check. Does that make sense? If I come up to a, to a green light in an intersection, I drive through the, the intersection, I'm expressing faith. 
But I, I, it's not faith in my faith or faith in my ability to get to the intersection. It's faith that there's a red light going the other direction. And it's faith in those other people that they'll stop. Right? There's always got to be an object of faith. Faith is nothing by itself. It's got to be an object. So what is my, the object of my faith? It's God who sends grace and peace into my life. And, and as, as I see God as my father, well, you know, I had a great father. And I hope I was a good father to my kids. I spent a day with my son the other day just hanging out. And, and, and there's a, a, if you have a good father, you understand it's easy to surrender to your dad. It's easy to just go with the flow. You may not agree with everything, you know, but you go along with it. And, uh, and, and then it talks about Jesus, our Lord. And the word Lord in, in the Greek comes across as master. God is our father. Jesus is our master. So there, there comes an idea of surrender. And then this is a hard word, an idea of submission. I'm willing to yield my will to your will. And, and now it's when grace and peace is in me. God's starting to, to empower me with something of his spirit. And, and now the Lord comes and says, do this or stop doing this or whatever. And I, and I, and I find the, the, the power that's available as I yield to the Lord to accomplish the things that the Lord would like to accomplish in my life and for my life to turn into something that's good. Is that making sense? There's a scripture that says that we should submit to God and then we should resist the devil and then he'll run away from us. If you try to resist the devil on your own, all you're going to get is beat up. You submit to God, what you're doing is kind of coming under the shelter of, of, of his protection and his power and his love. Now you resist the devil who's tempting you to do something or whatever or, 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 or attacking you in some way. And, and you're in good shape because you are protected by the Lord. There's a book that I read. I'll finish with this. It's called Restoring Your Shield of Faith. And it starts out with a, with a, a kind of a word picture. Uh, because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians talks about having a shield of faith. And, and it describes the armies of ancient Rome. And we've all seen pictures on, you know, you, you see these guys with, with shiny brass armor all over themselves. And, you know, it wouldn't work real good if you're trying to camouflage yourself. And they got a little shield. And Paul talks about the shield of faith. And this guy goes into history and he says, that, he says the actual technological marvel of the ancient Roman armies were their shields. And he said that they would, they would make a shield of, of, of a lightweight frame of wood and they would nail to it five to seven layers of cowhide so that it's, it's sturdy, it's strong, and it's almost impenetrable by an arrow or by a sword or by a shield or whatever. And they would even go to the point of dipping them in water before they'd go into battle because people would use you know, armies or arrows that were dipped in like coal tar and lighted on fire, flaming arrows. And he said that the Roman armies, when they went to war, would, would everybody would march in lockstep right together. And the frontline guys got their shields up. And the shield is not round. It's in the shape of a door, small door, maybe about five foot tall. And these guys got the shield. It's in the shape of a door. So virtually there's a wall. And when the enemy wears themselves out trying to attack this wall, uh, then they, they, they break ranks a little bit and go in slashing and cutting. And then they said, if they would rain down arrows upon them, 
the guys in the columns behind because ancient armies used to march to war and you know formation the guys behind would hold their shields up overhead and everybody was protected from the flaming arrows and when Paul talks about us uh, having the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the wicked one he says he's making allusion to something that was the secret of the of, of Rome in its conquest of the world uh, it was it was in a way better than a tank it was just a moving fortress that would go everywhere and and then he goes on to make this point as we submit to God what we're doing is we're raising his shield of faith and now we resist what the enemy brings against us and there's some power and there's some protection and there's God's grace fully at work in our life. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 